my Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And one of the biggest differences between Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy and the original book is, oddly enough, the way that the One Ring affects people. The basics of it are basically the same. It tempts whoever's around it. But the way in which it operates is pretty radically different. And so what I'm going to do in this video is take a fairly close look at the instances, not necessarily all of them, but a good representative sample of them in both the book and the movie to get an idea of how this difference plays out and why that might be significant for purposes of telling the story. So, of course, the main person that we see being tempted by the ring for most of the story is Frodo, who carries it for the entire story, other than the very beginning where Bilbo has it at his own birthday party. And Frodo is tempted by the ring on several different occasions. There are some other characters who get tempted occasionally, but that happens very rarely. Uh, but Frodo, his really first ex instance of being tempted by the ring, potentially anyway, is when after Bilbo's birthday party, he is so averse to all the people calling and trying to find out anything they can about Bilbo's disappearance that he's tempted to put on the ring and just kind of escape from it all. We get very little direct evidence of this, however, because Frodo really just kind of tells Gandalf about it after the fact, and so we don't really get a good look into it, but in light of later episodes, we can kind of guess at what it might have been like, and that it was probably kind of similar to what we see later. The next major instance that we get is when Frodo and Pippin and Sam are in close proximity with a black rider who comes along the road, and this is... Unlike in the movie, Mary is not with them at the time, and so that is one difference, but that's not really relevant to the point here. But in the movie, this is one of the first direct comparisons we can make, because Frodo does come into contact, close contact, with a black rider. Now, in the book, it actually happens more than once, and the basic idea that we get in the book is that when this happens, Frodo is, you know, trying to avoid being seen leaving the Shire. He's, you know, not wanting to be questioned by anybody. He's trying to make his departure a secret. Although it's kind of well known that he's moving to Buckleberry, and therefore it seems a little weird that he would be terribly hesitant to be seen by anybody traveling to the place that he had already kind of publicly announced he was going to. So we're already a little bit maybe aware that the ring is playing a little bit of a role here, and maybe that is part of his rationalization. But when it comes to the Black Rider itself, once he gets close, Frodo really starts to think in terms of you know, I should put on the ring, I should avoid being seen, Gandalf's advice to avoid putting on the ring is silly, I'm still in the Shire, what possible reason could I have for not putting it on? You know, he starts going through this really long, elaborate rationalization process. Whereas in the movie, what we see is ring the, the ring wraith gets close, 
Frodo is just kind of sitting there, and the next thing you know, his eyes kind of roll back in his head. He pulls out the ring, almost as if he doesn't know what he's doing, and Sam has to basically, you know, literally slap him awake, but, you know, physically touch him, and then Frodo kind of comes to, like, what was I doing? So there's a radical difference here between the two instances. And then we get further instances where Frodo has very similar reactions and we never get a, a direct parallel, really, in the movie to these, but they're very instructive, so I want to go through them. One is at the house of Tom Bombadil. Bombadil takes the ring from Frodo, who gives it up without really a question, which is kind of a strange thing in and of itself, but that's Bombadil, not the ring. And when he gives it back to Frodo, it's after making it seemingly disappear into thin air, and... Frodo then kind of rationalizes, I should put the ring on to make sure it really is the same ring and not some fake that Bombadil switched out. So there's again this kind of rationalization process going on like, you know, I need to put it on to make sure it's what it's supposed to be. Later on, he'll get caught by the Barrow Whites along with the other hobbits and again, this doesn't happen in the movie, but in the book, what happens is he starts rationalizing, you know, I could escape with the ring, and even though it would be horrible that I leave them behind and they die, Gandalf will admit there's nothing else I could have done, you know, I can maybe get out, whereas there's no way for me to help them, you know, and finally he overcomes this and decides to do what he can to help them on his own. And so he he overmasters this fear-based response, but the ring is really kind of toying with his brain, making him think in terms of, here's why what I'm doing is perfectly justified, and obviously nobody else is going to argue with me about, I had to do this. So we've got these instances where Frodo really wrestles with being tempted to put on the ring, and then we get another parallel between the movie and the book at Weathertop. There is, of course, the instance at the uh, Prancing Pony, but there's really nothing going on there. Seemingly, this is just an accident. And to the extent that it's not an accident, there's no brain process going on in Frodo's head. He just kind of has his hands in his pockets, slips and falls. Arguably, that is ring-induced in some way, but it's not really clear, and so there's not really a whole lot to analyze. The next case that we really get is at Weathertop, and the the way the, the attack goes down on Weathertop is kind of different between the book and the movie, in that Aragorn is present the whole time in the book, gets the hobbits to all kind of stand with their backs to the fire with, you know, burning pieces of wood facing outward, and in the movie, it's just the hobbits facing off alone against a bunch of black riders with just their swords. But in both cases, what happens is Bilbo, no, not Bilbo, Frodo ends up in a position where he feels the need to put on the ring. Interestingly enough, in the movie, we, of course, really get no like internal monologue or anything like that from Frodo, but what we do get is... You know, he is staring literally at a ring wraith who's reaching for him and just 
he puts the ring on. And it's not really clear in the movie, is this literally just a fear response, like, let me put the ring on and hopefully escape, or is it the ring wraith is kind of inducing him to do it? Because that, that almost seems like what happened in the first scene that we get in the movie, where the ring wraith gets close and he's just like, zombied out almost but then in the book what happens is the ring wraiths get close and he starts to feel this pressure and it's not so much a rationalization this time it's literally just more like a command it's like a a thing that's being forced on him and bear in mind this is the first time in the book where a an agent of the enemy is literally aware of his presence and that he has the ring. And it's not just any agent of the enemy, it's a ring wraith. And it's not just any ring wraith, it's the witch king of Angmar and, and the lord of the ring wraiths who is present. So what we get is this pressure that he feels that he needs to put on the ring, and there's no real rationalization process that goes on in his head in this scene. He just feels an unbearable pressure, and he finally yields and puts it on. This is going to be repeated later on when he is close to Minas Morgul and the hosts of Mordor march out under the lead of the Witch King of Angmar. And the interesting thing about this particular scene is it, it's the same pressure. And this time it says, but this time in Frodo's mind there is no answer in his will to the pressure yet he feels forced. He has this sense that he must put on the ring, and it's he has no desire to do it, he knows he shouldn't do it, and he doesn't want to do it, and yet the ring is, it's almost like it's physically forcing him to do it. And in this scene, it's actually kind of similar in the movie, because Sam there, Frodo actually asks Sam kind of for help and says, I mean, not exactly, because in this scene, Frodo is mainly just feeling the pain of the previous wound. And in the movie, the ring temptation doesn't seem quite as prominent, but it is there, and he does get Sam to help him, or Sam does help him. He doesn't specifically reach out. In the book, he actually specifically asks Sam, you know, to help, because he knows, like, I can't stop myself. So it's interesting to see these comparisons in Frodo's case, and there's a couple other instances, but let's look at some other characters as well. Another instance that we get that is a very short-lived one is Isildur, and in both the movie and the book, we get a very brief description of what happens when Isildur takes the ring. In the movie, Isildur gets the ring... Elrond actually takes him to the Cracks of Doom, and it's not clear whether this happens in the book. Probably not. Uh, It's just kind of they're there and try to talk him into it. But at any rate, in the movie, Elrond literally takes him to the Crack of Doom and tells him to throw it into the fire, and Isildur just looks at it like, this is nice, and says, no. Uh, Interestingly enough, in Hugo Weaving's voice. Uh, But (laughs) leaving that aside, he then walks off and then, in the this all is kind of told by Elrond after the fact, but in the prologue, we also just get this line by Galadriel, who just says, 
the hearts of men are easily corrupted, and we see Isildur riding with his men, and he's just wearing the ring, looking all... <laughs> uh, so, in the movie, we really don't, again, get much of a rationalization process or anything like that. It's just like, Isildur becomes enamored of the ring and refuses to get rid of it. And that's it, as far as we can tell. In the book, we get a little bit more of a story, because Elrond tells the council that when Isildur took the ring from Sauron's corpse, the, you know, Elrond and Círdan tried to talk him into destroying it, and Isildur basically said, no, I'm going to take this as a were-guild for my father and my brother. And effectively what a were-guild is, is payment in gold or some other form. It's literally man-gold is what the word means. But it's payment for the death of a close family member in lieu of some other punishment. So, for example, instead of being put to death for killing, you know, your father or your brother or whoever, you would just pay the survivor an amount of gold that was deemed appropriate given the culture of the time. Isildur takes the ring as guild, which is, and this is one thing that I wasn't really aware of until Corey Olson pointed it out, uh, the Tolkien professor in one of, I don't remember where, it's been so long since I've heard it, but he basically points out, that's not really right, because Sauron is already dead, and you really don't have a right to a guild after the person who did the wrong thing has been killed. That's not how that works. But at any rate, Isildur is t- rationalizing his taking possession of this thing. And we also get a little bit more of his rationalization in the the writing that he takes, and he talks about how, of all the things that Sauron made, it's the only one that is fair, the only thing that, it, that Sauron ever made that's beautiful. And we can get this, you know, we can hear it in his mind, it's so beautiful, why would you ruin it? And this actually harks back to a, Thing that happens with Frodo because Frodo, when Gandalf throws it into the fire, Gandalf says, are you so worried about it? Is it really that, are you that attached to it already? And Frodo's like, but no, it's so nice. Why would you ruin it? And then when Frodo looks at it after it comes out of the fire, he is, again, the thought process in his head is kind of described as thinking of how perfectly round and altogether beautiful the thing is. So this is another common element that seems to go into the book version of Ring Temptation, is the thing is so beautiful in and of itself, it has intrinsic value. So we get this from Isildur. But Isildur isn't the only other character whose mind we get a look into. Boromir has a very brief encounter direct with the Ring, and it's Boromir's is actually maybe the most close parallel between the book and the movie, because in the movie, Boromir, when he comes to want to try to take the ring, or at least ask for the ring, it's all seemingly in the context of, you know, we should use the ring as a weapon, we should, you know, take it to defend Minas Tirith, to, you know, fight against Sauron with his own weapon. And that's very similar to what Boromir says in the book. In the book, though, we get a little bit more detail in his conversation with Frodo directly because he talks to Frodo about, and we don't get actual quote language, but the description of what he says is basically, 
how he would make all these alliances and drive the hosts of Mordor and, you know, all this stuff. And how the ring would give him power of command. That one actually is a quote line. But the idea is that Boromir is getting all these ideas. And this actually is going to be paralleled yet again later when Sam is tempted by the ring. Because Sam's temptation has a very similar flavor to it. Sam, when he has the ring after he thinks Frodo is dead, and then later, of course, learns that he's not, walks into Mordor, and he immediately almost starts having, and by into Mordor, I mean like he crosses from one side of the mountains over to the other, uh, trying to find how he can get to Frodo. But when he crosses like into the Mordor side of the mountains, he is almost immediately assaulted by these visions of Samwise the Brave, Hero of the Age, Samwise the Strong, I'm sorry. Samwise the Strong, Hero of the Age. How he's, you know, leading armies against the Tower of Baradur and, you know, all these things that are in his mind and how he's going to turn Mordor into a giant garden. And then he snaps out of it and realizes this is not right. This is, you know, one small garden of a small gardener is all my need and do not a giant garden swollen to a realm, and my own hands to use, not the other, the hands of others to command. And he realizes, he, he gets enough head on his shoulders to realize this is just a trick by the ring, and if he puts it on, Sauron will spot him, and he won't actually be able to put up a fight. So Sam experiences a very similar kind of thing to Boromir, but again, it's kind of in that rationalization mode. Like, I can take the ring and have the power and do what I need to do. Because Sam is looking out on the Vale of Gorgoroth, seeing the desolate waste and thinking, I can fix this. I can turn it into a garden. I can have the power that the ring will give me and defeat Sauron and make everything that he's done better. So... Sam also has this kind of weird rationalization thing. Whereas in the movie, we never... And this is one of the most criminal aspects of the movie trilogy, I think. Because this scene with Sam is one of the best things in the book. But it's completely left out of the trilogy. And the only thing we get as far as ring temptation for Sam is when he finally finds Frodo. Frodo, you know, kind of like pleads with him to give him the ring, which is also wrong. Frodo in the book, when he asks for the ring starts to see Sam as an orc and is, you know, give me the ring and you know, gets really, really aggressive about it and Sam gives it up pretty much without question. But in the mo in the movie, Frodo is, please Sam, give me the ring. And it's like Sam is almost tuning it out and reluctant to hand it over. But we don't really know why. And, you know, best guess, he doesn't want to burden... Frodo with the ring, and the funny thing is, we'll get many instances of Sam not wanting to have Frodo carry the whole burden by himself in the book, but it's not really ever hinted at that those instances are Sam being tempted by the ring. They're actually just him wanting to help Frodo, but every time he does it, Frodo gets like really mad and, you know, fights back. So this possessiveness, that's another thing that comes through in the book, is that it, it becomes a very possessive relationship. The ring possesses you, but you want to possess the ring. And that doesn't seem quite as strong in the movie as it does in the book. 
going back to Boromir, though, I did forget to actually draw the comparison, because in the movie, Boromir doesn't go into the long tirade of, like, all the plans he's going to make and how he's going to defeat Sauron. It's really kind of just a simple, when he when he's talking to Frodo direct on Amon Hin, he basically just says, I ask only for the strength to defend my people, and throws down a bunch of sticks like he's frustrated, like, why can't you just see the, you know, the value of my plan? And says, if you would lend me the ring, and then, you know, they go into this thing, and it, it's kind of similar, but it's, we never get, like, that long chain of thought that we do in the book. Another direct comparison that we get, of course, is with Faramir. Faramir is, in the book, apparently completely untempted by the ring. Before he realizes what Frodo is carrying, he basically says, I wouldn't touch it and pick it up even if it was just on the side of the highway. And at that point, he has already guessed enough about the ring to recognize that it is a dangerous artifact, that it is something that breeds, you know, distrust between Confederates. That's not exactly the words he uses, but it's something similar to that. And when he finds out what the ring is, he said, I said I would leave it by the side of the highway. And even though I didn't say it as an oath, I would take those words as an oath and they would bind me. But we don't, and he also even straight up says, I have no desire to take this thing. Now, that's an interesting thing for him to say in comparison with the movie, because in the movie, we don't get the impression that anyone is immune from ring temptation. Farbeer, of course, is not in the movie, and this is one of the things that I hate the most about the movie, is they ruined the character of Farmir. Farmir in the movie, of course, has, like in the book, but for different reasons, has daddy issues, and he wants to live up to his father Denethor's, you know, whatever. I mean, he wants to get his approval. He wants him to be happy with him and stuff like that. And in the movie, that seems to be really the key to the t the ring's temptation of Faramir. Once he finds out what it is, he goes back to that line that we already saw in kind of a flashback that it would be a chance for Faramir, a captain of Gondor, to show his quality. And he's, you know, it clearly is playing on this idea that Faramir wants Denethor's approval, and so if he gets the ring and takes it to him, he will be loved in Denethor's eyes just as Boromir was, because he was putting Faramir down and giving Boromir all the praise and all this stuff. So, there again we get... There's actually a little bit of a rationalization there, but it's really just like accentuating what he already wanted. There's not really that much going on in terms of the ring is influencing him in a direction that he wasn't already thinking, whereas that does seem to be the way things work in the book. It's like the ring starts, you know, it may start with something that you want, like, to hide or to get rid of, but then it, like, starts making you think in terms of, like, here's why it's okay, here's why you should do it. Yeah, totally, go with that. Whereas in the movie, it's more just... Yeah, I want that. Of course I want that. Like, why would I not want that? So, you know, it's just a, a difference in the way it plays out. Now, these are... I've already gone through a lot of examples here, and there are others you could pick up on. Galadriel is actually pretty similar in the book and the movie because they basically copy the scene in the movie almost. And you get other people who also have 
encounters with the ring or whatever that have temptations. But to move on from that particular aspect of it, another difference between the movie and the the book is that the way the temptation occurs in the movie tends to be kind of inconsistent and in more than one way. So, for example, Frodo has this, like I said, kind of zombification almost in some of the early instances, like when the the Black Rider's right in front of him but doesn't know where he is and he's just feeling like this, and he almost puts the ring on before Sam stops him. Then when he's literally facing a ring wraith at Weathertop, he's, you know, wide-eyed and he's just like, okay, I'm going to put it on. And it's not the same kind of thing. But we do get, you know, some instances where Frodo kind of seems to go into this murky, weird state. Sometimes it's not like that at all. Sometimes it's, you know, there's just different ways in which it seems to affect him and it's not really clear why that is in the book we get you know he starts off with rationalizations and then he kind of moves to just straight pressure and then it moves to just really absolute pressure where he literally can't do anything about it but in each case we know exactly why when he has rationalizations it's because the ring wraith that is scaring him doesn't know he has the ring he doesn't know he's there it just you know, the ring wraith probably has an idea that the ring is somewhere nearby, but it's not like he knows exactly where he is. And presumably that ring wraith is not the Witch King, whereas on Weathertop, the Witch King literally knows that the ring is in front of him, and he is probably literally commanding Frodo, put it on. And so Frodo feels this pressure that he just must do it. And this happens again later, of course. So we have ways of explaining some of the differences in how Frodo is affected in the book, but we don't really have that in the movie. Another difference in the movie and the book is that the way in which people are affected by it is radically different. So in the book, ring temptation is not a thing that just immediately turns on as soon as it's in proximity to you, as we see in Faramir's case. Faramir already has enough wisdom to know that he should not touch whatever this thing is. And then when he learns what precisely it is, he knows even better he should not touch whatever it is. And as far as we can tell, Farmir is literally untempted by the ring in the book. Weirdly enough, Boromir in the movie starts out with kind of a similar perspective on it. Because when Denethor tells him... It's rumored that the weapon of the enemy has been found, and you need to go get it. And Boromir is the one who's hesitant, like, the one ring, that's, you know, I mean, he doesn't say it out loud, but the impression you get, and Denethor seems to pick up on this, is that Boromir thinks this is a bad idea. Denethor picks up on this, saying basically, yeah, it's dangerous, but you are strong, and you can handle it, and blah, blah, blah. And then the funny thing is, when Boromir who starts out with the perspective that Faramir has in the book, finally gets to the Council of Elrond, it's like he immediately turns all that off and is immediately enamored of the ring and wants to use it as a weapon. Why this change happens? See, when they introduce this flashback scene in the Two Towers, 
where Denethor is telling Boromir to go to Rivendell, it's just kind of like, wait, why was Boromir all hesitant there, and now suddenly he has zero resistance to the ring at all? Frodo, at least, he doesn't have a whole lot of resistance to the ring in the early stages, and he's rationalizing why he should use it. But the further he goes on, the more he builds up resistance, because the more in tune with the idea of what the ring is doing, he becomes. He realizes, you know, this is what the ring is doing to me. And that's why by the time he gets to Weathertop, he's not rationalizing anymore. For one thing, there's no reason to rationalize. The Witch King is just like literally browbeating him, you know, in a, in a spiritual sense to put it on. And further and further along, the rationalizations stop and it just becomes a literal contest of wills. Do I take it off or not? Can I take it off? Can I not put it on? That kind of a thing. You know, this happens over time because Frodo builds up resistance, not realizing in the early game how dangerous it is. But he finally, you know, he wins that battle in the Barrow. And after he wins that battle, the rationalization part kind of stops. And after that, it's always just a contest of can his will overcome it. In Weathertop, he kind of just gives in. Further along... It's, no, I'm not doing it, except I can't stop myself from doing it, and he has to get help. But the whole point here is, when Boromir, who in the movie, according to the flashback scene, has this thought process of, like, this is not necessarily a good idea, we don't want to do this, then immediately just all of that goes out the window, and suddenly he just wants the ring. And this... You could say, okay, fine, whatever, like, this is what the ring does to people. Except it doesn't, because we also have Aragorn, who is with Frodo from, you know, really early on to when he leaves the Fellowship, and Aragorn seems slightly tempted by the ring, you know, when he comes up close to Frodo on Amon Hin in the movie, but he closes his hand on it, and said, I would have gone with you to the end of the very fires of Mordor. And Frodo says, I know. Aragorn apparently has the strength of will to not give in to ring temptation, assuming that's what that was going on in that scene. It's not really 100% clear. It seems like it has to be, because we hear, like, the ring voice in the background saying, Aragorn, Elessar, you know. So we get the idea that he's being tempted by the ring, but he doesn't seem to have a very hard time with putting it away. He starts out with the same exact perspective, seemingly, that Boromir does, which is, it's dangerous. We can't do anything with it without risking serious problems. But Boromir apparently just loses that in an instant as soon as he's in proximity to it, whereas Aragorn never seems to really have a problem. So it just doesn't really gel the way that the ring tempts people. Like, why is Boromir so much weaker than Aragorn in the movie? It it doesn't make sense. In the book, it makes perfect sense, because in the book, Boromir really is just kind of that way. He's thinking about how to win battles, and he wants to his own glory, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm not, like, dissing on Boromir, but, I mean, that's what Faramir literally tells us, is, you know, that Boromir would, would like to have this thing to win glory for Gondor and his own by doing so. So, we know this about Boromir. Boromir had a specific weakness that the ring played on. That is why he was tempted. 
in the movie we don't get that. So the the consistency just doesn't run through. A final point that I want to distinguish between the book and the movie is who can use the ring. And it's really interesting because in the movie it's really kind of ambiguous. And by use the ring, I don't mean just who can put it on, but like who can really make use of the ring. In the book, it's pretty darn clear that anybody of sufficient inherent power can take the ring and potentially overthrow Sauron and become a new Dark Lord in his place. Who has sufficient power? Not 100% clear. Aragorn, almost certainly. Boromir, possibly. Uh, Gandalf, definitely. You know, any of the great elf lords or ladies like Galadriel, certainly. Um, But in the movie, it's really a little less clear because, for example, in the Council of Elrond, Boromir goes off on his little monologue and talks about using the weapon of the enemy against him, and Aragorn says, We cannot wield it. None of us can. The One Ring answers to Sauron alone. Now, and it says it has no other master. This is imprecise, certainly, in terms of accurately representing what's going on in the book. Aragorn could have wielded the ring. How effectively he could have wielded it, you know, that's somewhat open for question. He would have probably had to have some practice with it, you know, because one of the things that Galadriel tells Frodo, even, in the book is, Frodo asks, why can't I see, like, the minds of other ring bearers and stuff like this? And she says, you haven't tried. Don't try. And she basically tells him, like, you would have to train your mind to the domination of other wills. Something that Frodo has never done. And something that he has limited capacity to do because of who he is. He's just not a natively very powerful character. And I mean that in in not like Dungeons and Dragons. He doesn't have high stats, but I mean like in Tolkien's world, there are characters who are just more than others. Galadriel being one of them. I mean, and part of that is she was born in Valinor. She has, as a you know, an elf who was in Valinor has a lot more inherent power than somebody who's never been to Valinor. Uh, Aragorn, as the heir of kings of Numenor, is just a greater human than Boromir, period. I mean, that's just not really up for debate. That's not to say that Boromir's a nobody. Boromir's a valiant guy, and he's got Numenorean blood of his own. But, you know, all there's there's definite power hierarchies in Tolkien's story, for sure. And where you are on that kind of defines how easily you can use the ring. And Frodo, in his case, he's pretty low on the power hierarchy, but Galadriel implies that if he spent enough time exercising that element of, you know, his mind, he could potentially gain more power over the use of the ring and do things that he really shouldn't do. Um... Nevertheless, he would still be limited in comparison to people like Aragorn and Boromir as far as how much he could accomplish. And also, there are probably absolute limits that Frodo would have to break his own mind to to surpass certain limits that Aragorn wouldn't have to do. So, in the book, we get this clear idea that anybody potentially can use the ring to some degree to do things that 
the ring is kind of designed to do. In the movie, we get this implication from Aragorn that we can't wield it. Gandalf follows up the comment in the movie by saying Aragorn is right. We cannot use it. Uh, And there's a difference between cannot wield it and cannot use it. Because Gandalf or Elrond, maybe both, say basically the same thing in the book. We cannot use it. But the reason they say we cannot use it is we can't use it without way too much danger. Because if we start using it, we go down the path of becoming the next Sauron. And this is what Gandalf tells Frodo in the movie, as well as the book, about his own taking of the ring. He says, if you give me this ring, it will find a way, through pity, to tempt me to use it, and I would become like the Dark Lord himself. Now, this is where it gets weird in the movie, because if Gandalf means the same thing that Aragorn means in the Council of Elrond scene in the movie, then... Gandalf is now contradicting what he had already said about himself to Frodo in Bag End, because in Bag End he implied, if I took the ring, I would become like the Dark Lord Sauron, and the, the, the ring through me would wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. Now, it's not 100% clear that that means he could literally overthrow Sauron and, and whatever. Maybe it just means that he would be tempted by the ring and use power in a bad way and then ultimately be dominated by Sauron himself, but it's clear that he would be wielding the ring and using it in ways that would be very powerful, unlike, say, Frodo, who really has no capacity to do that at that stage in his life without ever trying to really do anything with it. So that still doesn't line up, even even if you take it with the most charitable interpretation that we can give it, to to make sense of Aragorn's comment, it still doesn't actually work. Aragorn's comment makes no sense if we take Gandalf's bag-in comments at face value. Aragorn is simply wrong. We can wield it, we just can't do it without really bad risk of becoming utterly corrupt and being the next Dark Lord. That's what's really the case. And Aragorn just flat-out contradicts this idea by basically saying it answers to Sauron alone. This is not really true in the book. Yes, it answers to Sauron because it's his ring, but Sauron can't, just because you're wearing the ring, control you. Somebody of sufficient power, Gandalf, Saruman, Galadriel, even Aragorn, wielding the ring with enough practice, or whatever you want to call it, could resist Sauron's domination, destroy Sauron effectively, and just become the next ring lord. So the idea that the characters in the in the story can't wield it because the ring just won't answer to them is just completely off base with the movie with the book. That doesn't actually fly. And we get inconsistent messaging in the movie about how this works. Because, like I said, Gandalf implies he could do it. Galadriel, in her speech, implies that she could do it. You know, instead of a Dark Lord, you would have a queen. You know, and the idea there is that Galadriel, if she took the ring, would become really powerful and do lots of really probably awful things with it. Uh, She goes into more detail on that in the book version of the speech, 
and in her conversation with Frodo, but it's effectively the same thing. There's no reason to think in the movie, just as in the book, that Galadriel is lying when she says that she would be a queen, dark and not dark, but beautiful and all the other things that she says, she would be able to throw down Sauron. And the ring would no longer answer to Sauron in the sense that Sauron wouldn't have any control. I mean, he would he would still be alive in some sense, but he would have no power to do anything. And he would never actually control Galadriel's mind. Galadriel would live forever as the next ring lord, or ring lady in this particular case. So... There's a vast difference here, except in the sense that in the movie, some of it agrees with the book and some of it disagrees with the book. And it's really not clear what the resolution of this is supposed to be in the movie. How exactly is this all supposed to work out? It doesn't really, it, it doesn't gel. It really just doesn't. So those are the main differences between the book and the movie in terms of how the ring kind of acts as a character slash artifact in the story. And it has profound implications because, for one thing, in the movie, because of the inconsistencies, it's never really clear why some people are affected by it and others are not. You know, why is it that Aragorn is fine, Faramir is not, Boromir completely forgets all of his hesitancy... You know, there's no real consistency there to make any of it work. The ring temptation in and of itself is so different because... And this kind of plays into the inconsistency too. Because in the movie, the temptation seems to literally just be... You know, you're around the ring, you want to use it. For whatever reason. And I mean, it, it could be just to hide. It could be to gain power. It could be whatever's kind of already in your brain. But it's not like in the book where the ring seems to, you know, like literally play with your mind. Like, here, here's reasons why you should go ahead and do this. And, you know, if Aragorn, for instance, had the ring in the same scenes where Frodo had the ring and was dealing with that rationalization... Aragorn would probably put up more of a resistance because Frodo was so untested and so unprepared, he just wasn't ready for it. And he fell for the trap, is effectively what happened there. Aragorn would likely not in the same instance. So there's this difference of how the ring operates on people that, you know, in the book explains a lot of what goes on. We can see why the ring does what it does in certain instances and why it doesn't do them in others. Like I said earlier, the rationalization thing happens when there's really no other outside wills involved. When there's other outside wills involved, like the Witch King, it's literally he can pressure Frodo to put on the ring, and then when he gets to the center of Sauron's domain in you know Mount Doom... The pressure is so intense, he literally cannot resist it. Although, even there, it's like, it's... Unfortunately, we don't get Frodo's innermost thoughts there, because it would be interesting to know how much rationalization went on in that choice, because it sounds like maybe some did. Uh, unfortunately, we just don't get that. But anyway, the the difference in how the ring operates on people kind of gives some additional layers to the inconsistency and in how this works. Because 
at least in the movie, in the book rather, we get the impression of this is how the ring works on people. It takes what's in their mind, and you know, in Frodo's early encounters, it's just fear. In Boromir's case, it's the desire for power and to to you know wield it in defense of Minas Tirith or whatever. It takes what's already in your brain and gets you to think in terms of here's why what you're wanting to do already is a okay. In the movie, it's just like ring present. Me want use ring. That's that's just kind of it. But if it's such a blunt tool as that, then why does Aragorn not give in? Why does why does Faramir suddenly change his mind after he sees what happens with Frodo? It's just the way it functions doesn't seem to work because with such a blunt approach, why would it be? Why would it be any different from character to character? And yet it clearly is. We can get an idea of why it's different from character to character in the book, because if it's just trying to play on your mind to rationalize, Gandalf, with his extreme wisdom and whatnot, would obviously be able to reject that. Faramir, with his wisdom, was able to reject that. There's just so much going on. And also, the degree of you know, whether you possess the ring also plays a role there. But then the other thing about, you know, who can wield the ring, this is also really important because in the movie it gives kind of a cheap out for anybody like Aragorn or Gandalf or, except we don't, you know, this is inconsistent as well. So again, it's not clear, but for Aragorn or, you know, other people like him, if he has the view that I literally cannot wield the ring because I will just succumb to Sauron which is not true in the book, then he has a built-in defense mechanism against the rationalization process. Like, I already know this is a failed route. If I try to go down that road, it won't work. It's bad. The idea, therefore, that nobody can actually wield the ring kind of undermines the, the, the process the ring itself uses to get people to use it. And, and to claim it. So that again kind of plays into how the story goes because in the book, it's a very real possibility that Aragorn could take the ring, learn to use it, and and effectively use it to defeat Sauron. And Sauron was legitimately afraid of this possibility. Uh, it, it's not something that Sauron's like, ha you puny human, you can't beat me with my own weapon. No, that's, that's really not the case. Now, does Sauron think that he could still win? Yeah, because his armies are huger. And, you know, he's potentially, you know, Gandalf specifically tells everybody at the last debate before they all march on the Black Gate, like, we're going to march into a trap and Sauron is going to set a trap and he thinks he's going to catch the new Ring Lord in a display of pride and arrogance. Because, and I think the idea here is that Gandalf is saying... It's too early for any of us to have become a true ring lord. None of us have had enough time to be powerful enough with the ring to really be that effective with it. And so if we do this, Sauron is going to think, ha ha, they're, they're displaying it too early, they're putting their neck out before they're ready, and I'm going to catch them. So the idea there is not so much Sauron could always beat whoever has the ring, 
so much as the play would be too early, and Sauron would know that the play is too early, and therefore he would be confident enough to think that he would probably still be able to win that fight. If Gandalf actually took the ring and really used it, Gandalf would probably be able to gain enough power to really do something nasty to Sauron pretty quickly. So, you know, I mean, it, I don't think there's really any inconsistency there, but the story gives us enough there to say this is why this works and this is why the temptation to use the ring to fight Sauron is so effective. That temptation makes sense because it's partially true. It's partially untrue because everything the ring does is partially based on a lie at least. But in the movie this is completely backwards and because of its... the the inability, as Aragorn tends to call it, to wield the ring, it turns this all on its head and makes it so that Sauron theoretically never has to fear anything other than somebody actually destroying the ring, which he thinks is impossible. So these are these differences actually have huge implications for the story as a whole, and they really show how, you know, Tolkien had thought all this through. He had the implications all thought out, and they're very, very precise in terms of how the ring works, what it does, how it affects people, how it can be used. And in the movie, they just kind of change these things a little bit, and the way that they change them just slightly undermines so many different things in the way that the story plays out. So... Anyway, that is my overview of the difference between the ring in the movie and in the book and how that matters for the story. If you have any additional thoughts on this topic, I'd love to hear them in the comments below. You, you can follow me over at Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. If you like the video, please give it a thumbs up, share it around. If you haven't already, please also hit the subscribe button and hit the bell icon for all the notifications. And I'm also on Odyssey and Rumble and have podcast versions as well. And you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namadier.